Amen. All right. We're going to start out in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to do something different tonight. We've been talking about the wisdom of Solomon. But I want to do something different. And I want to use my whiteboard tonight. And the title of this study is The Cross and the Crown. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'll start reading at verse 9. The Cross and the Crown. Okay, Peter says in verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now this letter is addressed to Gentiles. Notice in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout these regions. The strangers, that's a, a word for Gentiles in the Bible. You compare that with Acts chapter 2, verse 10. And so Peter is writing to them, and he says, uh, The end of your faith is the salvation of your souls, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Old Testament prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, unto you Gentiles, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, capital S, which was in them. Somebody says, well, saints in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was on them, but not in them. That's not true. It's not biblical. The Spirit of God would come into a man, would use him for something, and then go out of a man. Uh, he, would go, he would come on a man as well. Uh, but David prayed in the Old Testament, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And uh, that's a prayer that you cannot pray today. The Holy Spirit comes into us, the moment of salvation, and then we are sealed unto the day of redemption. And that happens when we hear the gospel and believe. Then the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence. Then we are sealed. That does not happen when you are baptized. That is a false teaching. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and you're sealed permanently. The Holy Spirit will not leave. Okay? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come into a man and leave a man. So, which was in them, in these prophets, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So the Holy Spirit, His work of, of, of revealing God's Word to the prophets and His work of, for some of the prophets, using them to be inspired penmen to put God's words down in writing for us, uh, his work of revealing truth to these prophets. And this truth testified beforehand in the, in the Old Testament, before Christ showed up. It testified of the sufferings of Christ. Now, the newer Bibles take that word it in verse 11 and change it to he and ruin the meaning of the verse because they say, well, the Holy Spirit's not an it. It's not referring to the Holy Spirit. It's referring to his work of revealing this truth that, this, that the prophets were searching. 
and then giving this truth to the prophets as they searched diligently about this salvation. So the it doesn't refer to the Holy Spirit. To change it to he, like it does in the New King James Bible, is to mess up the meaning in the verse. Uh, when it testified, there's nothing wrong with that. Beforehand, the sufferings of Christ in the glory. You see that? The sufferings of Christ, comma, in the glory. So the Old Testament prophets, they understood, they understood the sufferings of Christ. And the Old Testament prophets understood the glory, but they didn't understand what came between those two things. You see that sufferings of Christ, comma? The sufferings of Christ, now that we have all the full revelation of God and the mind of God on, on this salvation, the sufferings of Christ is the first advent. The glory is the second advent or second coming. That comma between the sufferings of Christ and the glory, that comma represents about 2,000 years, a little over 2,000 years of history. Okay? So, what the prophets understood is they saw this. They saw the sufferings, and they saw the glory, but they didn't see what was in the middle. Several weeks back, yeah, I talked about that, about how the church age was a mystery because uh, it wasn't prophesied in the Old Testament. And therefore, it didn't have to happen. Now, it did, and God knew all things that were going to hap happen. But if it didn't happen, that would be, uh, it, it's possible because it wasn't prophesied, the church age. So, what this is, the sufferings, this is the cross. Right? That's the cross. And they saw the sufferings, the suffering Messiah in the Old Testament. They could see that. And then the glory, that's referring to the crown, that's referring to the kingdom, the glory. Let's see if I can draw a crown here real quick. There we go. That's the glory. So they, they just didn't know what came in between them. Verse 12, Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves... But unto us they did minister the things. So the prophets were ministering for a future generation, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost. Peter is saying to you strangers, you Gentiles, this is now being reported unto you. It came from Jewish prophets. And uh, they preached the gospel to you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Isn't that something? The angels are curious beings, and they're curious about this salvation. Watching someone go down the street and knock on a door, and, you know, and they see there's a man in there, and they know what this man's been up to. This man is thinking about killing himself, and he's, he's just about had it. But somebody comes and knocks on the door and says, uh, I'm here, and from such and such a church, and I wonder, are you saved? You know, 
are you saved and sure? Do you know you're on your way to heaven? And um, can I preach the gospel to you? And this has happened over and over again. I think of one person in particular and heard his testimony. And he was just at the end of his rope and he was about done. Somebody came and knocked on his door, showed him the gospel, and it was what he longed to hear. And he received Jesus Christ and that changed everything. And he didn't want to die anymore. He went on to live for Jesus Christ. The angels love to look into these things. They love to see this and to see these, these uh, preachers in the first century preaching the gospel and people getting saved. Um, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. All right? So tonight I want to ask you, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> uh, that means get ready to learn. To gird up your loins, they had long flowing uh, garments and they would pull them up and tuck them up underneath their belt before they were getting ready to run. And so uh, that would prepare them to get ready to run. Well, let's gird up the loins of our mind and be prepared to learn a little bit about this, about what happens between the suffering and the glory, okay? What we have is we have two advents. And you have this occurring uh, about... 33 A.D. Now, I know they say that the dates on Christ's birth weren't exactly right, and our calendar's not right, so you have to go back to about 4 or 5 or 6 B.C., and, but let's just never mind all of that. That just, it just muddies up the waters. Uh, we're just going to go with 33 A.D. Um, there, you have B.C., right? And you have A.D. And the difference was, it's marked not at the death of Christ, but at the birth of Christ. When Christ came into this world, He changed everything. He changed our calendar. He changed world history. Uh, it was God intervening in, in human affairs. And when Christ came into my life, I've got a BC and I've got an AD before Christ and uh, before I was saved. And then when Christ came into my life personally as, as Savior, then I have the AD, which means in the year of our Lord, my life is different in the AD than it was in the BC, right? And that's the same for every one of us here if you're saved. It, it changes your life, this gospel. Well, what, what we learn about what happens between the sufferings and the glory is we learn about this mystery church age, which is basically like a parenthesis, okay? So that word, I chose that very carefully. The church age is a parenthesis in God's dealings with this world and with his people, Israel, okay? So you have the mystery Church age. The mystery church age. Okay? And that is something that we can look at in Scripture. If you want to turn to the next place, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3 in just a moment. Verse 1. In this mystery church age, it takes place over the course of 2,000 years. And you are at the end. God is wrapping up what he's doing with the church in this world, and he's going to move on to the next event on his calendar, which is the rapture. And the rapture is imminent. That means it could happen tonight. There's nothing to keep it from happening. The rapture, I know we've gone over this before, but repetition is the mother of learning. The rapture is when Jesus Christ catches his church and calls them out of this world and catches them up into the air to meet him in the clouds. 
We don't know when that's going to happen, but we do know this. The church started at Pentecost. That's when the church started. And the church ends at the rapture. Once the last person that God wants to save and to put into the body of Christ, once that last person is saved, God will wrap this thing up and take us out of this world. This teaches us something very, very important for our lesson tonight. Not just knowing these details, but this teaches us that the church is a called out assembly. So Ephesians 3, the church is a called out assembly. That's important because what, what has happened is people have got this business between the cross, the cross and the crown. They've gotten them mixed up. They get the cross and the crown and they try to put them together. Boy, it's hard to talk and write at the same time. They try to put them together. You say, what's the, what's the difference? The church is not the kingdom. Okay? The church is not the kingdom. The church is spoken of as being a, a house in the scriptures. Uh, it's called a house in 1 Timothy 3.15. It's called a temple in 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17. And uh, it's compared to a body. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll go there. And it's called the body of Christ, but it's never called a kingdom or compared to a kingdom. Yes. Yes, and that's a good truth. Jesus is never actually called the king of the church. Now, we know he's king over heaven and earth. He's king of the universe. We know that, right? Uh, he has always reigned. But Jesus is not called our king. You say, why is that important? Okay, let me try to unfold it and not get ahead of myself. But the church is a mystery. It's a called out assembly. It's something that God is just doing in a parenthetical situation in history. He's calling us out. The church is not here to rule the world. Okay? Let me show you how this has happened in, in church history, in, in world history, really. The church has thought that it is a continuation of the Jewish church in the Old Testament. And so people who have understood Christianity in this way will do things like this. They'll say, well, we are just a continuation of the Jewish church in the Old Testament, and God rejected them, and now we're the new Israel, and so therefore we should worship like God told us to in the Old Testament. Uh, Sabbath keeping, um, having a temple, having a priesthood that has special garments that looks different than everybody else, so a special, having a sacrifice. They call the ordinances sacraments, and they call the ordinance a sacrifice. Because what are they doing? They're mimicking the Jewish economy, the Jewish Old Testament setup, the Jewish dispensation. Not only that, but a works-based salvation. And so therefore, when you go into their churches, their churches look like you know, these great big elaborate cathedrals 
okay, that are like temples. Well, in the New Testament, no building is called the temple. We're the temple, our bodies. Okay? It goes further. If that's the case, if we are the continuation of the Old Testament Jewish church, then that means that in the Old Testament, like the church, it was over the state. And so how did we get to the place to where the things that happened in England, the, uh, the church in England that uh, King Henry VIII, he wanted to get married the second time and the Pope wouldn't let him, right? So they broke off and started the Church of England. And in that setup, the church was over the state. Uh, if, if the king didn't do what the, what the Pope wanted him to do, he'd be excommunicated, right? Couldn't take the sacrament anymore. Therefore, he lost his salvation. Okay? He lost the means of grace. And so therefore, follow me on this, if, if the church is a continuation of the Old Testament setup, and if it's over the state, right, then therefore, as, as the church expands through crusades, killing people and forcing conversion, if the church expands and, 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 and envelops the whole earth, then the kingdom will spread over the whole earth, right? And then who's, who's in charge over, over the, the world? Well, in that kind of an idea, God, right? So that's where the crusades come from. That is not biblical Christianity. That is apostate papal Christianity, and that is the mystery Babylon. The, that's the church of the tribulation. That's what is going to happen in the tribulation. That's where the Antichrist is going to be, the top of that mess. Um, that's not us. You say, what's the big deal? Well, in people who don't understand this, they'll come forward and and uh, they'll pray, like in Southern Baptist churches, they pray, Lord, use this money for the continuation of your kingdom. That's not what God's doing. God's kingdom is not spreading. God's kingdom is not right now. His kingdom is spiritual in the sense of the Holy Ghost is within us, right? The kingdom of God is within us right now. But His kingdom is not spreading in this world. It's a complete misunderstanding of what God is doing. God has put the kingdom on hold. We've been trying to talk about it in Acts. The Jews, did they accept their king? They said, you know, Pilate said, this man here, Jesus, he says he's your king. Will you take him as your king? And the Jews said what? We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. They rejected their king. Stephen stands up to preach, and he's offering the kingdom and telling them, you killed your Messiah, your king. And if you'll accept him, you know, he's standing and ready to come back and to bring in the kingdom. Uh, they, they rejected him. That's the first time. There's two other times that we're going to look at where the Jews rejected their king. And every time they did, it says, I turn to the Gentiles. Okay? And so what God does is he turns away from his people, his kingdom, and his uh, position, his rightful position as king, so he's ascended. He's with the Father, right, on the right hand. And the Bible says, until his enemies be made his footstool, right? So he is on the throne. He is reigning. He always has been. But he said, and not all things are put under his feet yet. I'm putting it in my own words, right? Not all things are put under his feet, but he's there until everything is put under his feet. When will everything be put under his feet? 
Well, you have this period of time here called the tribulation period. And this is, this is seven years. Seven years of the tribulation. And at that time, at the conclusion of that, Jesus Christ will come back in the second advent. I'll just use this one here, the purple one. Jesus Christ will come back, and he comes back to conquer as a king, and he'll land on the Mount of Olives, which I'll, I'll be able to stand on that mountain. That'll be, that'll be something. This is the second advent. When he comes back, he comes back to conquer and then to take his kingdom. And then he reigns for a thousand years as king. Reigns for a thousand years. From this period right here, God is calling out mostly a Gentile people. He's calling out Gentiles. He will call out Gentiles out of the tribulation. He will call out Gentiles out of the millennium. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. Okay, that's not a mystery. But what he did here in the church age is different than everything else. We've got to see that. Because if we don't see that, what we'll do is we'll try to set up state-run churches. So, in the beginning of our country, uh, the people who escaped England, they escaped the oppression of a state-run church. That's why they, they wanted the separation of church and state, the oppressive church over the people. They wanted to be free to worship, right? So they came over here to America, the pilgrims did, these Puritan believers, Calvinists, some of them, and, and then some other kind of people too. They came over here, and then in Massachusetts, what did they do? They set up another state-run church, a state church situation, where the church is over the, the civil, secular affairs. And they burned witches. And you hear these people always criticizing the church for burning witches in America and Salem. Why did they do that? They did that because they're trying to live under the Old Testament dispensation or economy or setup, however you want to say it. They're following the Old Testament law, you see. And so in Massachusetts, they start another state church, and guess who gets persecuted? People like you, your kin, Baptists, who stand up and say, now look, the Bible doesn't teach infant baptism. You're just baptizing infants so that we don't lose members of the church and so that the church stays strong and we keep our numbers up. You're baptizing infants. And the Bible teaches that you're supposed to get saved first and then get baptized. And so you have Baptist preachers who go out into the open air and start preaching the truth of the Bible and baptizing themselves as adults, like the Bible says, and starting their own churches, and they're persecuted in America. Why? Because they didn't get this right. What happens between the cross and the crown is the mystery church age, and it is not, and the church is not here to, be, to, to rule the world. We're not here. Jesus said, the world hates me. And the world will hate you too. That's what he said. We're not here to rule the world. All right, let me get personal. We are not here to be a social club. We're not here for the, the personal benefits of our members. Put it that way. If you sign up with us, you got some benefits, man. This is what it's going to do for you. If you sign up with our group, you're going to have the care of the church. It's not even set up for that. 
Now, that is a benefit of being a part of a church, but that's not what the church is about. It's not here to improve society. We are not a social uh, um, organization. Like, we're not here to reform people, to fix people's problems with drugs. Uh, to, we're not here to give counseling to people. Um, we're not here to do any of that. Now, those things are benefits of the church, but what I'm trying to say is that's not our function. That is not our mission. We are not here to be a social club, as I said before. Um, we're, listen, we're not here to serve the community. Now, folks, that's what a lot of churches think that they're here for, because I read their websites, and they'll say, we're here to serve our community. And so, no, you're not. You're not here to serve the community. You're not here to make this community better. No, you're not. You, had, you know what we're here for? Spread the gospel. You're here to evangelize sinners, to edify the saints, to build them up. That's discipleship. And to exalt the Savior. That's what we're here for. Nothing else. Nothing else. Now, as a result of the church being in the world and being the church, uh, social programs have started. We have hospitals today because of Christianity. Right? That's history. Uh, we have orphanages because of Christianity. We have Alcoholics Anonymous. The, the, you just go down the list. All of these programs that benefit society because of the church. But that's people who are part of the church going out and doing these things, setting up these things. But the church has no business fooling around with that stuff as an official operation or ministry of the church. No business whatsoever. That's not what we're here for. The thing is, is that the church gets off track and starts thinking our job is to do a soup kitchen. Our job is to do uh, this or that. No. Somebody who is, loves the Lord and the Lord says, go start a soup kitchen and go start a mission. Yeah, okay, fine. A mission is something else. A mission is not a church. Our whole purpose is to call people out of this world. And Paul says, come out from among them. When he said that, he said, come out from among wicked sinners. Come out from among them and be separate. That's what we're called to do, to be separate. Come out from among, touch not the unclean thing, and I will accept you, right? Come out from among them and be separate. And do what? The only thing we're supposed to do is to teach them, baptize them, and then teach them whatsoever Christ has commanded. And that's all the New Testament. That's what the church is here for. And when that happens, guess what happens? People get delivered from uh, different kind of bondage, uh, different kind of sins. People get delivered, don't they? Families get put back together. Um, it, helps, it helps the community. Sure. But listen, if a church is not keeping this mindset that we are in this world to protest against this world, that it's wicked, and we are here to call people out of this world and out of the world system to be separate, and we are here to try to bring some people and like point them to God so that they can come out of the darkness and into the light, and if we're, here, we're, not, we're not here to make this world better. Yeah. 
right. The Holy Spirit did not come into this world to make this world a better place. See, it's a complete misunderstanding. He did not come into this world. You know what's going to happen to this world? It's going to get worse. That's what the Bible says. It's going to get worse. And it is. We see it all around us. You're not going to make this world a better place. You say, well, if we have revival, if we really have revival, then the situation will improve. Well, that's true. Temporarily. There have been great revivals in New York City. There have been great revivals like the Welsh Revival. Wales, man, that is a wonderful story of revival. You go to Wales today, do you think you're going to find a heaven on earth? No. You'll find a wicked society that doesn't want anything to do with God. You know why? Because God's not in this world to change the situation. God's in this world to call people out. Let me put it to you this way and we'll move on. We cannot pray, thy kingdom come, in the sense of, Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come and that it would spread throughout all the world. You can't pray that prayer. We're not to pray thy kingdom come. We're to pray thy church go. We're supposed to pray for Jesus to come back and to get us. The kingdom will come when the king comes. So through the tribulation, the Jews will be praying thy kingdom come. Now in the church age, we pray thy kingdom come, but our understanding is this. Lord, we're praying that you would come back. We, we don't think that the, the, the king, this is not the kingdom. The cross does not go here. The cross goes here in the millennium. You know who's going to be sitting as king of this world in the tribulation? The, yeah, Satan. Antichrist. So it's a misunderstanding of what the church is. Okay, let's look at, a, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look at that real quick. Um, now look, it'll keep us from the error of thinking that we are a social club. In other words, guys, we're not here for entertainment. I am not here to entertain you. Okay? We're not here... We're not here to do... If, if a ministry does not lead to trying to reach people with the gospel, it should not be done. You understand that? It should not be done. The Operation Christmas shoebox thing. The whole purpose for that is to show people that we care so we can preach the gospel to them. Okay? That's the whole purpose. We are not here to... You know, to have uh, somebody says, well, I want a church that um, has a lot of things for my kids. Where do you find that in the New Testament? You won't. You'll find it here in the world, and you'll find a church who has forsaken their mission to do something else. You know what happens if you spend all your time trying to reach kids with all these programs and things like that, all this stuff? You know what happens? You don't reach the kids. History has proven that. Why do we keep doing the same thing over again? You know what we're supposed to do? If, if Look, if this ministry does not lead to taking some young people out to go pass out tracts and witness to people one-on-one, it has failed those children. If this place has, you know, we have them come up here and we have bounce houses and we have, you know, game-playing uh, trucks and stuff like that that are air-conditioned and we got horse rides and we got all this stuff and bobbing for apples and all this kind of stuff and those kids grow up just to be hypocrites and never lead anybody else to Christ, and never really be followers of Christ. That stuff is what's been going on over and over and over again in churches. Why? 
because churches have forsaken their mission. You'll have churches that are used for gospel concerts. And my goodness, what a sham. What a sham. That's not what we're for. We're not here to entertain. We're here for three things. Evangelize the sinner, edify the saint, exalt the Savior, and to look forward to the Lord coming back to get us. Um, This is the understanding of the New Testament. So chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. The mystery. You see that word? That does not mean a mystery book, uh, like a paperback novel. This passage tells us what a mystery is, and it's something that is concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New. Which in other ages, this mystery was not made known unto the sons of men, like those prophets we talked about searching for it. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets of the New Testament by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. That's the mystery. That's the mystery church age that was not revealed in the Old Testament. I just wanted you to see it for yourself, that it's not just me saying this. He just said it was not made known previously, but now it is. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Not by trying to make an alliance with this world. Not by trying to go along to get along. Not by trying to become like the world in order to reach the world. All of that has led to apostasy. You know what? Apostasy is falling away from the truth. and You know how apostasy starts? When you move away from the Word of God. Even just a little bit. You just make a little tiny compromise. If a church makes a little compromise on the Word of God, that is the beginning of apostasy. And it will only get worse. It will only get worse. Um, Whereof I was made a minister, verse 7, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning, now here's the definition of a mystery, from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. So a mystery is something that's hidden in God, and God reveals it unto us. It's not this, oh, it's a mystery, and I'm having such a hard time trying to figure it out, and you know, you get to the end of the movie and, and then all of a sudden you just kind of see it now and, and the, the author of the movie shows you the mystery, you know. No, it's something that is hidden in God and God gives it to us through his apostles and his prophets. And specifically, this mystery of the body was given to Paul. Yes, when, when we needed it, when he was ready. And it was hidden from the beginning of the world who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now look, 
Look at the ministry of Paul. You just look at his life. That'll show you what this church should be. Paul said, well, let's just look at it. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. We're told in the scriptures to follow Paul. Um, so we don't have any other option. <laughs> you know, we, we have no other option. Follow Paul. And what did Paul do? Well, what Paul did, that is the pattern for us. He's the pattern saint. And that's what we're supposed to do. What did Paul do? He went about preaching the gospel. Um, Paul went about taking those who believed and continued with him, forming them into local churches. And then he told the churches, Christ is coming back at any moment. We don't know when, but you need to be ready. Okay? And they're formed into churches. They're discipled. And then he says, now you go out. You preach the gospel and bring more people to Christ. And then teach them what I've taught you and keep doing it. You'll find nothing else in the scriptures. You won't find Paul doing anything else. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Somebody says, well, I'm just going to be a follower of Jesus. Uh-uh. Nope. No, ma'am. No, sir. You're going to be a follower of Paul. And look at the way that he followed Christ and follow Paul's example. That's what the New Testament tells us to do. Um, and this mystery of the church was not revealed. Now, so that the purpose of this lesson is to try to get us to see that we do not want to confuse ourselves with the kingdom. Don't confound yourself with the kingdom. The church is a mystery, and I'm going to show you that the two are not the same. And the, here's the reasons, okay? The kingdom was no mystery. The kingdom was no mystery. It was studied and longed for all throughout the Old Testament, promised. They were looking for the kingdom when the Messiah showed up. Okay, it was no mystery. Everybody knew about that. Gentiles being saved, Romans chapter 9. No mystery. That was not a mystery. They knew that the Gentiles were going to be able to be saved. The new thing that was a mystery is the church being composed both of Jews and Gentiles. And uh, that was the mystery. The kingdom being put off, the kingdom being put off, that, they didn't see that coming. So the nation of Israel and God's kingdom on this earth was set aside when Israel rejected her king and God turned to this mystery program with the church. And as I said, the church is compared to a house, a temple, a body, but never, never a kingdom. What is your relation to the kingdom? Paul preached it quite a bit. He said, look, if you do all, 1 Corinthians 6, if you do all these bad things, you know, if you're, if you're a fornicator, you won't inherit the kingdom. Paul, Paul would say that we can inherit the kingdom, that we are heirs of the kingdom, but we are not spreading the kingdom. No, no, we're not. We're not spreading the kingdom. The kingdom is in a mystery form right now. The kingdom is within you. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Meat and drink is physical, and it's a reference to the Old Testament dietary restrictions. 
the kingdom. Yeah. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is within you right now. It's not in this world. It's within you. And you are a mystery. You are part of a mystery, a body. We'll look at that body the next time that we get together. But you're a part of a body. Now look. Listen. Listen. A body is a vehicle, right? I have a personality within me. I have a soul. And the body exists to bring, bring a animation, to be a vehicle for a personality, right? Yeah, and it's temporary. But the picture is, is that the church is a body. Who's the head? Christ. And Christ needs a body for his personality to be active in the world. He needs a body. So we are the body. People, if they're going to see Jesus in this world right now, they have to see Jesus through the church. Through the church, which is his body. So we are the hands and the feet. Now listen, what are we supposed to do as the hands and feet? Go out and start social programs? No. No. Go out and improve people's situations? Uh, Start businesses and... Uh, start programs where we train people to do businesses? No. No. If you, if you look at, I'm done, but listen, I'm not, just, I'm not just talking out of inexperience. You look at the mission field of Haiti. Apostate denominational churches. Denominations are corrupt, bankrupt, worthless. Denominationalism is almost entirely worthless. And they completely miss the mark on what the church is supposed to be doing. In Haiti, you know what denominations do? They go to Haiti. They throw buku dollars at Haiti. And they say, look, if we can just improve their living situation in the name of Christ, if we can improve their living situation, educate them, give them clean water, uh, educate them on democracy and stuff like that. If we can just do that, we can fix all the ills of society. Folks, they have been doing that for years in Haiti. And one good soul-winning missionary, one man is what God always does. God always takes a man and does something with a man. One good soul-winning missionary in Haiti goes down there and says, look, I'm not here to give you money. I'm not giving you a cotton-picking thing. What I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you something that's better than money, and I'm going to give you the gospel. And so he starts a work of giving the gospel to people, starts seeing witch doctors getting saved, children getting saved, uh, parents coming to Christ, and situations and families actually changing and improving through the gospel. That is the power of God. The money... That money has just been thrown at Haiti, and you go down there, and and you'll find nothing but just people looking for handouts. You will not find Christ followers until you send a soul-winning missionary. So we can can, uh, waste our time trying to think about our church as being here to improve the society and trying to go along and get along and uh, trying to be friendly with this world, or you can do this. You can confront them in love 
with the gospel and see something actually happen that will change their lives eternally and do what Jesus wants us to do, which is to preach the gospel to them. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that um, when you come back, that you'll find churches that are still standing for you. And you, Lord, when you, you said when you come back, shall the Son of Man find faith on the earth? And implying that there wouldn't be very much faith because people will move away from the gospel. They'll move away from the offense of the, the cross and people will stop winning souls to Christ and, and um, the church will be lukewarm in the end. And Lord, uh, I know that, that according to prophecy, the church and the end of the church age will be lukewarm and they'll be rich and increased with goods, but they'll be spiritually blind and naked and uh, will have no spiritual eternal riches. And God, I, I know that doesn't have to be the case with every church. So I pray, Lord, for our church here and for Racine, Ohio, Lord, that when you come back, that um, you'll have some churches still going strong, still standing for the truth, uh, even, even if it's just a few people, even if it's just a handful, still standing for the truth. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to keep the main thing the main thing. And, Lord, um, I pray that you'd bless little soul-winning churches all over this country. And I pray that you'd encourage them tonight. Lord, there's a lot of churches that are still doing the right thing and, and they're discouraged because they're not like the big church. They're not like the, the big churches, the famous churches, and they're discouraged, Lord, and, and they're doing just what you want them to do. So I pray that you'd encourage them and encourage, encourage us as a church. Lord, encourage our people and use the gospel, use the truth to call out a people for your name. Lord, as I look around Racine, I see a whole lot of people who are just dead in trespasses and sins, not really interested in biblical truth. And Lord, um, and they need to be reached. And we need to get out of these four walls and we need to reach them. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. Help me. Bless us to this end. For your your uh, sake and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.